church was the spiritual leader of the country up until the 1947 decision in which the separation of church and state, which we all remember what that's about, that was established because it said in the Church of England, the, king, the queen is the head of the church, and she appoints the bishops and she appoints the pastors. In America, we said, no, 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 we're going to do that. The government cannot enter the church. And in the, in the Bill of Rights, we said we couldn't be forced to quarter troops. That is, the government can't come into your house, uh, that you're protected in your home. And it didn't say you could never leave your house. It said the government can enter your house. And the separation of church and state was that the government couldn't enter the church. We would choose who the pastors and the bishops and the leaders were. It didn't say that if you're in the church, you can't lead in the community. That would be absurd. But in the beginning of the last generation or so, they begin to tell. So prior up until that time, the church always told people who they should vote for. And quite frankly, you know... Uh, they try to intimidate people to say that, that they, in America you can't do that and that you'd, you'd lose your tax-exempt status and all that sort of thing. So Jack Hibbs, of all people, the person where Bill Federer is in his pulpit as we speak, he puts the picture of the person that he wants to vote for, and he says, now there's the person you should vote for, and I, <clears throat> everyone in this church should do that. And then he takes that video and he sends it to the Internal Revenue Service every year. And, of course, they don't do anything about it. Why? Because there's nothing that prevents us from doing that. Uh, and and they, they like to use the fear of it in order to discourage people, from, but they won't go to court. If that was wrong, they'd take him to court. But once they get to the court, they'd lose, and, and the whole world would know the jig was up. That is, that, that you're allowed to say what you believe is right and wrong in the country for this period. But we could lose it. And that's what's at risk, unlike ever in history. Let me just give, a, a, a again, a course of opening. I have what I'm sure many of you understand is a uh, accountability group, a handful of men, uh, actually four of us, that meet every week for now 28 years, in which we uh, scripturally hold each other accountable. And one of them is uh, Ed Meese, who was the chief of staff for Ronald Reagan in Sacramento, and then came to Washington and was his attorney general. And uh, Ed was making an observation the other day. He said, uh, he said I, don't, I think America could have only been destroyed one other time. He said it was in the re-election of Abraham Lincoln in 1864. He said the Democrat candidate McClellan had promised that if he wins the election, he's going to immediately sue for peace. America will be north of the Mason-Dixon. Confederacy will be southwest of the Mississippi, would be a third country. America would have disappeared had Lincoln lost that election. He said, since that time, we've had crises, but we've never been threatened with being destroyed. He said, during World War II, we knew we were going to win. We didn't know how much time or treasure it was going to cost, but the Nazis were never going to occupy Shillicothe, Ohio. America was not going to be, we would fight to the last man. We would not allow that to happen. The only time would be, as Abraham Lincoln said, the destruction, if, if destruction be our lot, then suicide must be its tool. The only way America was going to be destroyed is if we did it from within. If we had people that literally wanted to pull down the statues of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, that wanted to burn the flag, and when the flag goes by and you're a ball player, that you bury your nose in the sand when it goes by. The only way America can be destroyed is if we do it to ourselves. And I would say to the young people, I don't think we've ever seen this before. This is the second time, as Ed Meese said. This is the second time in which the survival of the country that we know is on the line. Because these people don't want to reform it. This isn't Humphrey and Nixon. This isn't Carter and Ford. This is people that despise our flag and despise our country. 
And therefore, it's essential for those of us who know the uniqueness that is America to, to be involved. Now, um, let me just say that, you remember the last thing that Moses said to the children of Israel when he's at the Red Sea, and they're all standing there looking at him, and he said, keep your boots on, I've never done this before. And so I... Uh, I sort of feel like I'm running my, my own operation here. And that is that, that this, this country is a place that has been lovingly hand, handed to us for our responsibility. It, it is the lighthouse for the gospel. If you take all the money that goes for global evangelism around the world, from every nation, every nation on earth, America is 4%. If you take the other 96% and you put it in a pile and you double it, triple it, quadruple it, quintuple it, increase it five and a half times, that's not as much as the Americans give. To the further. This is the place that people look to when, when they sweep out the, the churches and they get their independence and move out the, the, the grain and the tractors and they begin to have services. To whom do they turn for Bibles and for hymnals and things? They turn to the Americans. When a ship is attacked on the high seas, it's happened over 300 times last year, to whom can they appeal? The 327,000 Americans wear the uniform of the United States Navy. The America is the standard for the world. So when the president of the United States encourages Israel's enemies to make peace, and they say, all right, we'll do it, where are they going to sign a paper? Will they go to the United Nations? That'd be a way. Where do they go to Paris? That'd be silly. Where, 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 where do they go? They come to the United States to the White House and sign the paper because it is the standard for what is right and wrong in the world. Now, the scripture says if you take down a city, you must bind a strong man. There's only one strong man in the world. It's the United States of America. You take America down, the rest of it's a piece of cake. And so that's what is going on as we sit here is an effort to take down America. And I understand that, uh, you know, in, in many of the schools today, people don't uh, tell as much about our country, and let me just take a, a, a little, couple of little references about America. And if I speak tonight, I'll have to, re, I'll want to repeat it. But you young people should know that this little four percent that I talked about writes more books, more plays, more symphonies, more copyrights, more inventions than the rest of the world combined. For thousands of years, people would hope to someday fly. It was Americans that invented the airplane, and the light bulb, and the telegraph and the telephone, the global positioning system. All the socialist countries of Africa have let their air traffic control systems atrophy and rust away so that if you're flying a plane over the continent of Africa, you use a global positioning system conceived, invented, and maintained by Americans. There are ships that are parking in the Hong Kong and Singapore harbors as we speak using a GPS maintained by Americans. Uh, if a car dealer in Latin America wants to order a piece uh, a part from Japan or from Germany uses an internet conceived, invented, and maintained by America. There are skyscrapers all over the world. Why? Because an American by the name of Elisha Otis invented the elevator. And there are places where it's 100, 120 degrees. Why? Because an American, God loving, by the name of, of Willis Carrier, invented the air conditioner. And, there, and the entire world has been blessed. Now, the question would be why? And it's important that we know the answer to that question, lest we elect people who want to fundamentally change America, and there'll be no place else to go. I, uh, are, are, well, uh, let, us, let, let us begin. There are basically three stools, three legs. If you've ever th seen a three-legged stool, if you lose one of the legs, it's, it's bad news. 
Uh, if you've got a four-legged chair, you can almost sort of hang on. But if you've got a three-legged stool and you lose one of the legs, the whole thing goes down. There are three legs to America's freedom. And if we lose one of them, and, and one of them is spirituality, so it has to be discussed. And if, if, when we've excised it from what makes America work, then they don't understand it and, and they miss it. And so what I want to do is to walk through basically the first two. I'll touch the, the third one a little bit tonight. In order to do the third one tonight, I have to do a little bit of redress of the first two. But, but let's, let's just walk through it and, and share this with you that I couldn't share with others necessarily. You've all seen this picture. Up until this time, this picture is December, the night of December 24th, 1776. The war had begun that year. Declaration had been declared of independence in July. There were about at least 25, from 25 to 45,000 patriots that had joined George Washington in this effort. Many of them had been given uniforms and signed agreements that they would fight until the end of the year. Many of them had deserted or been defeated or lost to smallpox and other diseases, such that he's down to 7,500 on December 23rd, and they've had no victories at all. And the enlistments are up on January 1st. And, and so his, uh, his prayer partner and friend uh, came down from New York and said, you know, if we don't have a victory, this thing's over. George Washington wrote in a letter to his cousin of Mount Vernon. He said, I fear this thing is about up. And so on that day, a, f- a fellow by the name of Thomas Paine wrote a letter in which he said, these are the times that try men's soul. The summer soldier will disappear. And he talks about how, how what, that this is the moment in which you can create a great country. Washington read it and said, that's good. And so out of the 7,500 of you, how many of you can stand? Most of them are laying around in the snow, starving to death, only hanging on for another week because they weren't going to desert at this point and not get paid, so they were going to wait until at least January 1st. Only 2,500 of them were able to, to fight. And so he had them stand up, and he read that cause to them, and he said, tonight... We are going to go down and cross the Delaware River. And at Trenton, New Jersey, are a series of the enemy, and they have supplies and ammunition and blankets and all the things that they're holed up for the winter, surviving what we're out here freezing to death. We're going to go down and fight them and defeat them. Repeat, they've never had a victory yet. And so his, his prayer partner suggested that the watchword should be Victory or death? Because this is it. We don't do this. And then George Washington said this, and this is why I'm telling the story. He said, post none but Americans on guard tonight. He said, wait, 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 wait. They all got birth certificates. They got the passports. They wear the uniform in the country. What do you mean Americans? Being an American is not physical. You and I can't become Japanese or Chinese, but anybody can become an American because being an American is spiritual. He said, post none but the Americans, the people that believe and stand for what we're fighting for. Post none but the Americans on guard tonight. I know we've got 7,500 guys that are hanging around here, but only those that we truly believe. 
it's important that we understand, just as an aside, if you were to ask me, what is the most important thing you've ever learned in your entire life? It would be this. Everything in life is either physical or spiritual. Everything. And wisdom is the capacity to tell which is which. If you think that love is physical, you'll be running around. But love, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's spiritual. Joy, if I just get a new tractor. That come pretty close to making me happy. But nevertheless, if I just got a new, new boat, if I got a new kitchen, if we just had another child, then I'd be happy. No, happiness is spiritual. It's not physical. There, aren't, there isn't enough ground property to make you happy. Happiness is peace. Well, if we just draw the line here and if I just smoke this, man, I'll be at peace. And if I just take this drug or if we just have the water rights to go here, then we can. No, no. Peace is spiritual. And wisdom is understanding which is which. America is spiritual. It's what we stand for and believe in, and it works like this. When you and I go to vote, I don't care if you're in Boston or Baghdad or Belgium, you only vote on two things. You only vote on two things. You vote on the integrity and the character, the, bio, the believing, the beliefs of the individual, and the economic part. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about socialism. That's the economic part. This morning we're going to talk about the integrity part. So politics equals integrity plus economics, whether you're running for school board or president of the United States. First of all, let's do integrity. Now, when I grew up in a town like Sheridan and people talked to you and they gave your word, you could count on them. And I considered running statewide and I dealt with the people in Cleveland and elsewhere and Toledo. And I noticed that when they said something, they actually did something slightly different. Now, that's not illegal. It's not unconstitutional. But something's not right. And I couldn't quite figure out how it worked. And I came up with this definition for integrity. You say integrity is trustworthy, reliable. You say this platform has integrity. You say a bank has integrity. That fire escape has integrity. It performs the task for which it was designed. And so a person who has integrity does two things. First of all, the standard is morality. And morality, I define as not doing what's wrong. Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. The things is not doing what's wrong. But integrity is more than that. You, you can sit on the couch all day and, 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 have, and be moral. But, but, but when, you go, you know, when you go to lean on people and they're not there, it's not that they've done anything wrong. They didn't do anything at all. <laughs> what, what Edmund Burke say, all that's necessary for tyranny to prosper is for good men to do nothing. So integrity means more than that. So I, I came up with a definition of character. I define character as doing what is right. So your daughter comes home from school and says, you know, everybody was picking on Sally today and calling her fatty, fatty and all. But I didn't do it. I didn't do it. That's good. You didn't do anything wrong. But did you have the strength of character to do what is right and there's the mix what is the definition of what is right there's only two only two one is what I think is right and one is what God says is right that's it and so how do you feel about abortion the very first words out of your mouth well I think or God says. 
And our founders understood that, that that is the fight that all of us face. That's the fight Adam and Eve in the garden. She saw that it was good for food and make one wise. You know, is it, what, what is in the best interest for me? Am I going to do what God says? Or am I? And so there has to be a starting point at each place. And so Thomas Jefferson said, in every kind of primary truth, first principle, there has to be a starting point on which everything else depends. And so what is that? When, when uh, Moses was taking the Jews out across the desert, uh, and, and he was chief cook and bottle washer, and he was having to solve everything. His father-in-law, Jethro, came to him and he said, this is going to kill you, son. He said, everybody's asking you what to do and how to do it. He said, you, you can't function that way. He said, uh, God said, here's what you need to do. You need to set up a federal, state, and local government. You need to get people with thousands, hundreds, and tens, and you need to put people in charge of those. Now, I'm not going to give you a four-year course in government, Moses. Here's what you look for. Three things. What you got to look for? Number one is our question here. He said, shall provide over all the people, able men, such that fear God. That's the fundamental difference because that's the first break. That's the, the fork in the road. If you think you're the boss or you think God is the boss. Now, let me tell you, Moses, you don't want somebody who thinks they're God. If it, so, as a little aside, by the way, you don't want to marry a person who thinks they're God. You don't want to go into business with a person who thinks they're God. And you don't want to elect a person who thinks they're God. And so when you ask them, where do you stand on? Well, now, I wouldn't impose my opinion because I know religiously people stand on No, no, no. God has a clear example. Now, either you're going to bob and weave and be the political gamesmanship here, or you're going to do what our founders did and, and believe in so Moses said, he was told, get those that fear God. Because if you don't, then you're going, you're going to have trouble. And so how, how does that work? Well, our, every barroom brawl, every schoolyard scuffle boils down to two words. Who says? And either I'm the boss or God's the boss. And so either you believe that man created God or you believe that God created man. And as I'm going to show you here in a minute, if, if you know the answer to this question, I can tell you where they stand on gun control. Now, my father would say, now, Bob, how do you do that? I said, Dad, it's simple. It's a worldview. Let's walk through it. Now, there's only two worldviews, only two. Either you believe that man got here on his own, Climbed up out of the primordial slime and said, "Let's write a symphony." He just get, he get you know and he went for millions of years and needed a liver and he developed a liver over millions of years. To which I want to ask a question: If you can live for millions of years without a liver, why would you develop one? I mean, this, this whole this, this this doesn't make any sense, son. You've got to have 32 chromosomes meet and, and over millions of years that until they no, they didn't. The first time they didn't meet, that's the end of that. I mean, it had to do it perfectly the first time, bozo. I mean, this is not complicated. I mean, never mind. Okay, so, so either if you believe that man got here on his own, which is what our children are being constantly indoctrinated with, and I'm going to tell you tonight, just I'll give you the, the closing argument. We are on the threshold of perhaps the worst destruction of America that's ever taken place since 1864. But the upsides are unbelievable. 
as the people are finally opening up to what's happening, they're beginning to see what they've been doing in our colleges, in our schools, and elsewhere. The opportunity, we have a leader that has enough backbone, has more titanium than the last 15 candidates combined. I mean, we have, we have the opportunity to do wonderful things. And so here's, here's where we go. That is, if you believe that man got here on his own, if so, then that means that man is his own standard. If you believe there's a God, then you believe God has a standard. This is important. Whenever you listen to anyone speak, if you believe that man is his own standard, then you believe that man is basically good. By what standard would he not be good? He's the one that sets the rules. If you know that God has a standard, then you know that we shall fall short. Thirdly, if man is basically good, then anything that he does wrong is not his fault. It's the DNA of Americans that have this have this racism built into them, and it's the it's the reason that person came in there shooting those people is not his fault. He's good. It's got to be the gun's fault. You got to regulate that gun. That gun coming in here doing those nasty things. I mean, you can see that the way that they think. You know, if guns kill people, how does anyone ever get out of a gun show alive? I mean, if, if, that, if that's what, but, but, but these people understand that anything that goes wrong is not their fault. They never accept responsibility, and that is the distinction that made America what it is. The individual read the scriptures, was translated, created a reformation in which we read the Bible and said, we're individually accountable to God. We don't have to go through anyone to get there. And brother, the king said, ooh, I see what's coming there. You're going to overthrow us next because you're going to think you can run your own place. And that's exactly right. And so the, the king King George did not call the American Revolution the American Revolution. He said, who shall deliver me from this Scottish Presbyterian Revolution? He knew those people had been reading that Bible. 39 of the 56 signers were, were Scottish revolutionaries that said, you're not going to come into our church and tell us what to do. He knew what this was about. America was founded on individual responsibility economically and individual accountability to God. And so finally, here's the difference. And you can listen to a politician for 60 seconds and you can tell on which side they are. Either you believe that rights come from the group and you hear these people talk. They always talk about women's rights, Hispanic rights, African-American rights. There are no blonde left-handed rights. There's only rights that belong to all of us and they come from God. And these people over here never talk about Hispanic rights. They talk about Americans' rights, freedoms' rights that come from God to all of us. And when you listen to these people talk, they always want to divide you up into groups and the, to, get, to turn people against each other. Under communism, when it was deliberately designed, it was the oppressor versus the oppressed, and they thought it would be economic. They thought there would be a handful of rich people that would control the rest. They didn't understand that under free enterprise, everybody gets rich. And now the fellow that, that's working at the factory has a boat on the weekend, and he has a cabin and a vacation, and he didn't want to throw everything. So then they moved in the last 70 years to move away from economic into racial. And they've been trying to divide the races all the time. If you believe rights come from the group, no one is safe. Because everyone is a minority. Our daughter spent a year in Rwanda. In Rwanda, 80% of the people are Hutu, 20% are Tutsi. It's a democracy. 
in a democracy, rights come from the group, come from the majority. The word democracy, by the way, does not appear in any of our founding documents or any of the constitutions of the 50 states because our rights don't come from the group. Our rights come from God. But if you believe the rights come from the group, then 80% can vote to kill the 20%, which they did. And over the course of 90 days with machetes, they chopped people into pieces. And just to show how absurd it is, the Hutus wanted to kill the Tutsis. And they estimated in the process that 20% of the people that were killed were actually Hutu because you can't tell them apart. That's what Satan wants to do. He's the source of death. He wants to divide and destroy. And so... How does that work out into into public policy? These people, if you believe that you're God and you have the answers, you'll always want to have more tools to tell you to sit where I tell you to sit and stand where I tell you to stand and wear what I tell you to to wear and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, whereas these people believe in limited government. These people always want more taxes. The reason I'm running for school board this year is because I don't want a tax increase ordinary, but right now at this critical time in the history of our school, at this moment in in our library, in the moment of our city, our state, some of you are old enough to remember when Bill Clinton was running for office, every time he opened his mouth, I want a tax cut for all Americans. I want a tax cut for all Americans because he knew people didn't want tax cuts. And anybody that knew this side of the chart knew, well, that's going to be silly. And yet he said, over time, if you wake him up in the middle of the night, you walk up behind him, he's pumping gas, tapping him on the shoulder. I want a tax cut for all Americans. Yeah, I understand. I got it. Until he got elected in November. And he couldn't even wait till January. Some of you young people can Google this. You can watch it. He comes out there, second week of December, biting his lip. Quote, quote, I, I never worked on anything so hard in my entire life. And, and, and I'm just going to have to propose the largest tax increase in the history of the United States of America. I could have told you that 15 years before. I can tell you about four years from now. I can tell you eight years from now. These people will always want more taxes. These people want fewer taxes. And these people want a weak defense. Why? Because every dime that's taken from their programs to defend the country is one less dollar that they can get credit for, whereas these people want to have a strong defense. Now, that causes Katie Couric and folks to have a heart pat. Because you conservatives, you always claim that you want limited government. You claim you want fewer taxes, yet you want a strong defense. The answer to that is right. That's correct. You got it. Because limited government protects our freedom. And fewer taxes protects, gives us more choices, more freedom. A strong defense protects our freedom. And that's what government is supposed to do. And then finally, that is, if I am God, I can say that marriage is between three men and a horse. And then I can make it a hate crime if you disapprove of my definition of marriage. And ladies and gentlemen, we are right on the cusp of that. This president overturned the ruling that churches had to hire people that were strongly opposed, opposed to biblical marriage, that, that Catholic nuns ha- had, to, ha- had to succumb to government edicts and not the word of God. And the, the opponents, Mr. Biden and Mrs. Harris, have pledged to overturn that on the first day that they get elected. And they will come in and this church can be taken to court unless it abides with their definition. And remember, when man does it, you're riding a horse, it ain't going to stop. You don't know where that thing is going to go. You, you are not free 
However, these folks believe that there is a standard. Now, with that understanding, how, does it, how do we <clears throat> work it out? So he said, Moses, I want you to get people that fear God, that they recognize that either they're God or he's God, so you don't want those, you want those that follow him. Number two, they gotta be, can't be liars. If they're going to tell you one thing and do something else, remember that standard, then uh, you can't function with them. Now, this is a powerful fact. What is truth? I can say that this auditorium is 45 feet wide. You can say it's 40. You can say it's 50. You can say it's 75. You can say it's 10. And we're all just all very tolerant. Oh, yes. So you think so? Oh, yes. Yes, it's very good. Until someone comes in and measures it. And that measurement is truth. Everything else is just opinion. But here's the significance of truth. It reveals error. So I can say this. It's 65 feet wide from here to there. And, and a little, it can be a little eight-year-old girl. with a, See, truth isn't from people. It's from fact. It's from a standard. She can come in and measure it and come to find out it's 70 feet. And everyone in the room, I've said three times, it's 65 feet. Everyone in the room knows what I said was wrong. Therefore, error hates truth. So truth, so all these people, with all their definitions of how big the room was, they all want to turn on truth because it reveals error. What is truth? I know. Now, if you're a teenager, you're going to ask the same question in your head I did. Jesus said, I am truth. You go, no, what, what, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means what God says is the standard. It's the truth. Everything else is just opinion. What Christ said is truth. And the smart person that wants to build the building, who if you've got a, a, a yardstick that's 38 inches, you've got one that's 39, you've got one that's 42, it, this thing's going to be a mess. You need to have a standard. And God said, I am the standard. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what God says is true. And if you don't think so, if you have a professor, if you have a partner, if you have someone that believes that something else is truth, then you don't know where you're going to land because they're the definition. So Moses was told, don't do that. Get someone who understands what, that God is truth. Now, number, number, let me hit truth a little bit more. Truth not only reveals error, truth overcomes error. Now, that's what really makes him mad. So you're prosecuting this guy for stealing the ATM machine. And uh, his defense counsel gets up and she says, why he wouldn't do such a thing, why he loves his mother. And he was having dinner with his sister out in Portland, Oregon. And here's the receipts. for You don't care what she says, because when she's finished, you're going to show a security camera of him driving his pickup up to the ATM. You'll see him get out and put a chain around the ATM machine. You'll see his face as he leans over the camera. You guys fingerprints as he pushes the button. And the truth will overcome the error such that the only way she can succeed is she has to prevent the presentation of truth. That's why only the left, only socialists burn books. Go, only Hitler burned books. Only Stalin burned books. Conservatives don't burn books. Conservatives don't chant and shout people down. Some, some, little, some little conservative girl go on campus and want to speak at a college campus, and they all turn out and scream and, and, and yell. Why? 
because truth overcomes error. We don't care. We let them say any crazy thing that they want. We don't. Truth does not fear error. But error cannot tolerate truth. And how do you know what truth is? You just watch when Satan gets mad. So I can pray at an inaugural in the name of Mother Earth and eagle feathers and, and nobody cares. But you pray in the name of Jesus Christ and all hell will break loose. Why? Because error cannot tolerate truth. Because truth overcomes error. And America was founded on truth. And this fight against America is because of what America is. Because America is the standard for righteousness. America is not under attack because it's evil. Get this clear. America is under attack because it's good. And when people want to talk about everybody in America not not being Bible believers and needs to be punished and all, I just simply ask the question, what nation in the world is more righteous than America? Where do people hope to escape to more than America? Okay, the truth of the matter is that this nation is under attack because it stands for what is good. Three weeks ago, last night, uh, the president called me, and we talked for some time, and when we were all finished, I said, Mr. President, can I add my piece, my opinion on something, something else? He said, sure, go ahead, Bob. I said, I said, Mr. President, when Imperial Japan attacked Pearl Harbor and sunk the Pacific Fleet, They did it because they wanted to overtake America, to invade America from the West. I said, when when Hitler cobbled together 73 divisions to overrun the Americans at the Battle of the Bulge in 1944 and left 13 divisions overrun and behind the battle lines and all, I said, they did it because they wanted to defeat America and overtake America. I said, Mr. President, all of that hatred and all of that viciousness is now directed not at Pearl Harbor and not at the the Black Forest. It's directed in one place, you. Because if they can take you down, they can take America down. And that's the goal. And I want you to know that around the globe are tens of millions of people that are praying for your physical success and for your political success. I just want you to know that. He said, well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate it, of course. And, and there's a reason why we should pray for those who are doing it. So, truth. We'll continue on here. Our founders got together and they said this. They said, we <clears throat> hold these truths to be self-evident, <laughs> which is a gracious Jeffersonian way of saying any idiot ought to understand this. And this is self-evident, Bozo. You're blind, deaf, and dumb. You ought to be able to say this. Or the, all, <laughs> the, so all men are created equal and are endowed by a five to four decision of the Supreme Court. There's only two sources. Either the group were endowed by a successful election in 1936 or are endowed by, no, are endowed by their, now who is he talking about? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, who's He talking about? Jesus Christ, or the Word, 
or the Creator. They're synonyms. They all mean man is endowed by Jesus Christ. Man is endowed by God. Man is endowed by the Word. Man is endowed by his Creator with certain inalienable rights. And among those are life. You say, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. I, no, no, no. This is between a woman and her doctor, and I don't want government involved in the bedroom. No, no. You're in the wrong country, honey, because it says right there in our birth certificate that the purpose of the American government, that to secure these rights, government are instituted among men. The purpose of the United States government is to preserve innocent life. Then liberty. Notice the sequence. See, liberty is of precious little value if you're dead. You, you, you have to have life first, then liberty. And the uniqueness of America is that it protects innocent life. And tuck this away. When you vote the rest of your life, you can ask anybody running for anything, running for city council, how do you stand about life? The value said, well, I don't need a city council. We don't have anything to do with that. And township trustee, I'm repairing the roads. I don't have anything to do Answer the question, son. Which one? Do you believe the government is to protect life? That's what America says. And if you don't believe that America protect life, tuck this away. Any politician that will take innocent life will not hesitate to take your liberty. He'll tell you what to wear, how to see it, whether or not I can see your eyes, what days you can come to church, where you can park. These people will dream up things. They will take your liberty in a New York minute. If I can take your life, I can take your liberty. And, of course, the important thing is where did life come from? Where did our liberty come from? It came from God. So first you had to remove God from the classroom. Once you got rid of God, then you can start to take life. Once you start taking life, we are on the cusp of having someone listen to this. The deputy health commissioner, you couldn't find it if I gave you $100,000 in eight hours to find out who that person is. The deputy health commissioner from Montgomery County, Maryland, made an edict that no Christian schools could meet for the coming year. Now, you and I elected a government that says you can't make laws like that. You have to have public hearings. You have to let people be heard. You have to vote publicly to see what they did. We are on the cusp of losing our liberty because we are at step number three. And I happen to, I keep giving away my story. We're on the threshold of a revival. <laughs> We're about to take all of this stuff back. I think. But it's critical. We've got to all show up on Tuesday to do that. So nevertheless, uh, final point is this. That is, so people such that fear God, men of truth, and hating socialism. Now, perhaps we could uh, do that a little bit more at our Sunday school session. I think I have worn everybody out. As Billy Graham once said, a mind cannot absorb, absorb more than the seat can endure. So uh, <laughs> with that, uh, thank you. God bless. <laughs>